What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Interesting. I think I lost audio in my left ear. Did you? Yeah, I think so. Maybe. I don't think so. No? No, I mean, I know that I'm half deaf. Okay. So. Yeah, I I, I am somewhat deaf, too. <laughs> Fucking 300 Jarrett. Um, shooting it with a muzzle brake. What's laying, your... F- laying down? Laying down, and it just rocked my world. What's your favorite rifle to shoot? Ooh. Um... Of all time? It's going to be really hard for us to not look at each other while we're I know. trying to get down on this. Of all time or just like what I'm shooting these days? What you're shooting these days. Uh, my favorite rifle to shoot right now, it's, it's weird. It's, it's such a boring rifle. Uh, it is a Sako 85 Black Bear in 308, And I've got some pretty wild stuff to shoot. Um but this little rifle, I started to bring it on the trip. It is just an absolute tack driver, but it's short. It has iron sights on it, uh, removable mag. It's just a super handy little rifle, super handy little hunting rifle. That it's a good truck gun. It is a good truck gun. That was the article that I wrote on it. And, um, man, it's, uh, it's just a great all-purpose gun. I'm really into uh, lever guns right now. Uh-huh. Um, I did a hunt uh, in Africa last year where the the previous hunts I did there were all, like, a lot of long-range shots, and which is fun. You know, I, I like shooting long-range, and, and uh, especially in a place like that with large animals and essentially no wind, and you're up in the mountains, so you can pull off some pretty long-range shots. Uh, very ethically, and and um, and then I took this Henry forty five seventy with uh, just steel sights, and put a stock on this uh, big Gims buck on a, on the side of a mountain, and got within like thirty yards, and um, and and wrapped up the hunt with that lever gun, and it was like forced me to get close, forced me to use the iron sights a lot more up close and personal experience with the animal and so ever since i've come back from that hunt i've kind of just been like yeah the next next couple years may be devoted to iron sights and kind of hanging up the scope thing for a while that's so funny man i can relate to that feeling of wanting to hang up a scoped rifle uh for me it was I felt like I had become an efficient enough hunter with a rifle. And stalking in closer with iron sights was going to be the next level of difficulty in hunting for myself. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where I'm at right now. Same thing. Um, and I imagine that's what, what led you to the archery thing and, and uh, 
I, uh, I'm, I've got a rifle coming in soon. You may have seen it pop up on our Instagram some. Um, it is a buddy of mine picked up a 1938 Winchester Model 70 and 375 Holland and Holland. It's pretty rough shape. He bought it just because we both love vintage rifles. And uh, he came across this one somewhere, and he bought it and then realized he you know, he wasn't going to use it, wasn't really going to do anything with it. He wanted a rifle I had. He knew I liked that one. So anyways, he ended up with mine, and I ended up with his. And, um, <laughs> and so Solid um, trade. Yeah. And, uh, and pre64win.com is uh is redoing this rifle completely to like factory original look and everything else there was a little bit of rust inside the chamber so we had to cut the chamber out just a tiny bit shorten the barrel less than a 16th of an inch whatever anyways nobody will ever nobody would look at it and be able to tell that that um it wasn't uh it wasn't made you know back to exactly to, to original spec but um, he asked me the other day, he's like, did you pick a scope out for it? And I was like, you know, just send it on home, man. We're not putting a scope on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to shoot some iron sights on it. So lever guns or something else. Yeah. They, they are just, they're cool. And, uh, I know you're into the archery thing and I'm just, I'm just wanting like to make things simpler, uh, with my hunting. And it's not, it's not necessarily that that I want to add a challenge um I just want I want to get back to kind of some simpler gear and obviously that does bring in the more challenging aspect of the hunt but I was getting ready to buy a uh, a new bow new compound bow um and I've never really gotten into archery hunting I say never really I've never gotten into archery hunting um this was going to be my second bow and uh the last bow I got, like I got this really nice bow and sights and everything, um, and I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and got to where I was like really confident with it. It's like, okay, this is going to be my my season this year. My whitetail season is going to be all archery. <laughs> and a buddy came over and he's like, dude, I love that bow, and uh, he knew I needed help with um, the hardwood flooring in my man cave. And he's like, dude, what if I help you do the hardwood flooring in your man cave? And, and just kind of trade you some labor for your bow and i was like all right cool so i never got to shoot anything with it really never, never hunted with it what and, ranges were you practicing at um I, I the furthest i shot with it was 45 yards um and i felt really good at 30 to 45 yards um i mean i shot like every day off our back porch and and it was like a fun evening thing. My wife would come hang out on the back porch. My daughter would, would hang out. and uh, Family activity. Yeah, it was. she's got a bow now, and, and she loves her little bow. And so um, the other day, my brother-in-law, who's just one of the world's coolest, coolest dudes, um, now that I moved up to the, to the mountains near his house, he's like, dude, we got to, you know, you got to get a bow so we can practice together be something fun to do and uh we've got some great places to archery hunt around here and um you know you gotta you gotta get dialed in with the bow and now you say around here just for the listeners 
Uh, that's North Georgia, yeah. North Georgia. North Georgia. And so I guess really quick before you keep diving into it, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, yeah. Um, Jason Vincent with Field Ethos Journal. Um, I am the editor for uh, our company and uh, one of the founders. Um, and you know, hunting is my thing. I was a I was a game warden, big into conservation. Um, I uh, I like pretty much doing just about anything outside, which is kind of what you and I are in the process of doing. We're going to go do some fishing and shooting and some outdoor cooking stuff like that. But uh, so yeah, so um, I'd say just for anybody that's listening, I'm a big game hunter, love bird hunting, uh, and now I am possibly going to become an archery hunter and so i think you should do it well here's the thing like he you know i had uh i specked out a matthews bow and i uh, was pretty jazzed up i was like yeah i'm gonna do this and i still like i already have rest uh spot hog sight the whole deal um just ready to go on a bow and um and i like i was messing with bows the other day and looking at it and i've got this brand new matthews now sitting in my uh sitting in the basement and i was like this is just too much bullshit like going on there's just too much shit hanging off this bow uh-huh like i don't do I need to watch my language more than no that? Okay. not at all all right um <laughs> and so i was like there's just too much shit hanging off this thing yeah like i think i'm gonna do the traditional archery thing so and that's how you're gonna you're gonna ease yourself into archery hunting with a trad bow does that sound crazy yeah that sounds pretty rough well the the place that's right near the house that my brother-in-law and i are just like we're just straight up on a hind quarter mission after <laughs> after uh after trying the flip-flop yeah um and there's this there's this low there's this low spot um near our house it's 55 acres and I can't tell you how many times I've almost hit deer. It's Beaver Dam Road. I can't tell you how many times I've hit deer, almost hit deer on Beaver Dam Road because they all come out of this one bottom. Loads and loads of does. Obviously. And we're talking private land? Yeah. Okay. Loads and loads of does. Um, Just so no one goes looking for Beaver Dam Road and tries to steal your spot. Like I said, I'm a former game warden. I'll fucking kill them. <laughs> so I'll, I'll know. I'll know if they're there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, we, we got to, like... We've got to get this guy to lease us this land, and we're we're, we're kind of in the process of going down that road right now. Yeah. Um, and it's just loaded with does. I know that much. I don't know what kind of bucks are in the area. I don't really care. I've told you before. I don't really, you know. I'm, I'm, You're not I'm, a horn hunter. No, I'm, I'm I'm grocery shopping when I'm hunting, man. Yeah. And um, and so at least with whitetail, um, and so this area is like if you saw it, you go okay. Now I see why you want to hunt with the trap bow because there's like these little um hardwood thickets it's like i said it's only 55 acres hardwood thickets then some open areas and it's the perfect place to do a um like a 20 yard shot mm-hmm. 25 yard shot like you could get by hunting in this in this area um with 25 yard shots and in so i just thought this would be just a really sick area to um you know, force myself to get in close with these deer. Um, and I want to hunt from the ground too. So like, I know I'm making things incredibly difficult on myself, uh, for archery season, but it's close to the house. So from a time investment standpoint, it's not like I'm driving 
two and a half hours to to public land and blowing a whole hunt because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I can I can time wise I can afford to blow hunts. You know what I mean? Right. Screw it up. Well, how many doe tags can you get? See, I like I've been a, I've been living in Georgia now officially for like three weeks. Oh um, wow. I believe. Do not quote me on this, but I believe you can get unlimited doe tags. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I, I, I believe that's the case. You can uh, get plenty. You can get. I, I, we've got legs in our future. Yeah, like lots and lots of uh, hind quarters coming. I like how, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that after trying a flip flop. That you guys did at your brother's house? Brother-in-law. At your brother-in-law's house. You're 100% sold. We're obsessed with it. Yeah. We're obsessed with it. We've done one. And uh, we did it the other day on a, on a Sunday night, I think. And, and uh, my in-laws were there. His in-laws were there. Our wives and kids. Everybody's running around. And... Uh, Everybody was like doing their own thing, and Marshall and I are standing around his green egg, and we're just like consumed with this thing. And he's cutting it off, and like people look just like they weren't, and it's fine. Like they weren't nearly as stoked about it as he and I were. You know, they were like, you know, a lot of the, you know, some of the people that were there were they don't love wild game, maybe, or it's just not their favorite, whatever. Uh, and Marshall and I love venison, and and we had, you know, gotten this this whole method from you and and so we were just amped to do this whole thing so and you had told me that the way you do it people are kind of just standing around with like a plate ready to go as yep. you're cutting this stuff off and that you, you have like some good bread and stuff like that or whatever and you're just like giving giving slices of meat to people and they're waiting on you yeah they're waiting on that next slice dude after i had the first slice i didn't walk away from you the, can't. I didn't walk away. You can't. Yeah, I didn't walk away from the egg. And we were carving it and setting it down on a platter. And people were still just, like, sitting around. And we're like, hey, y'all got to, like, get up and come get this stuff while it's hot. And, you know, just this is a social deal. Yeah. Like, you got to be meandering around with the plate. Don't sit at the table and wait for us to you bring you need a bigger party. Yeah. We, well, <laughs> we just need people that, that are, like, more stoked to eat that kind of food. Um, and, and I, trust me, it, it, like, it was not in any way an insult or anything else that, that Marshall and I were, were way more into this than everybody else. Because he and I, by the time everybody else was like, okay, we're going to make our plates. And they, they like made their way over to the platter with all the slices of uh, flip flop on it. Marshall and I were stuffed. Mm-hmm. We're like, we're done eating you guys sit down and make your plates but we're done um and i we we did sit down and eat with them we you know of course you're a, when, when you're a dude stuffed only really means that you can have like another sandwich or two and so <laughs> we sat we sat down and and uh ate some more but the i'm really i guess i'm more excited to try your marinade at this point than anything. yeah yeah we'll be doing that so after this weekend I'll almost guarantee you that the next time you do it, you'll have people standing around. It doesn't matter if they're a big game hunter or they like venison or not. Everybody will sit around 
and wait for the next slice to come off for themselves to yeah. eat it. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And by the way, if I over talk on your podcast, just tell me to shut up. It's because normally, so we have our podcast mm-hmm. and... Um, Which is the Field Ethos Podcast. The Field Ethos Podcast. I wasn't going to say it. I didn't want to. Oh, you're good, man. Rob rob people from listening to you. No way, dude. Uh, Ours isn't as good as yours is anyway. I don't know about that. Um, But it's, you know, it's usually me and Don and Davis and Jay. And for conversation's sake, I am the one that fills in the gaps, like kind of keeps the flow of things going. So, like, I kind of tend to over talk. Mm -hmm. So have to drive the conversation yeah yeah you got to keep it moving forward and don i think the reason i have to do that is because i think don is trying really hard not to i think he tries hard not to talk too much and i told him the other day talk more well he said (laughs) man i'm just i'm trying to be super mindful of the fact that like this this is a group thing and he said i'm just so used to being the interviewee and i'm expected <laughs> to talk a lot that i that, that i don't want to like take over and like and I, I was like dude people are people love to hear, hear from what you. he has to say yeah people yeah. love your perspective on it i had a guy call the other day and say that um and this is you know i know this is not a political podcast this isn't this isn't going into politics at all but a buddy of mine that that certainly not um he he certainly did not vote for don's dad the first time around Mm -hmm. um and he listened to don a couple times on our podcast and like just got a sense of his personality like out of politics right this Mm -hmm. is just hunting how he is actually as a person just who who he really is yeah most people don't get to experience that you and i have uh, super laid back dude, just solid freaking guy. I mean, people hate him, and if they if they had any idea what a good person he is, they they'd have a very different idea. But anyway, I, and and this guy called me. And he's like, hey, like I've listened to the podcast, and like he is just not at all who I thought he was. And so, and I told Don that the other day. I'm like, dude, you talking and and your input and what we're doing it it does people do really enjoy getting that side of you because they either see you on fox news or they see you on social media or whatever and so much politics like you know in and around where it's going to be black and white and they're instantly not going to relate yeah they instantly don't see a they don't see a person Mm -hmm. uh even if it's a fellow hunter a lot of those guys don't see don as a fellow hunter they don't know that he spends more time hunting than than uh, most of the guys that would think that he's not a hunter, he 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 spends more time in the field and, and can out hunt and and, and uh, get it done, um, you know, in, in at the highest levels. But yeah, so anyway, that's a, that's a long way to say that uh, because of because of our podcast and me trying to always keep the ball rolling out up to, to <laughs> do what I'm doing right now, which is just talk, talking. Talk. Yeah. <laughs> so. Where did you grow up? Charleston, South Carolina. East Coast, man. Um, the holy city, as they call it. And um, now, were you born into a hunting family? or? Well, so, kind of. Um, 
my both my biological granddads hunted. Uh, my dad stopped hunting when he was a kid, um, and my granddad almost got got killed on a on a uh, hunt with my dad um, by another another youth hunter and it scared my dad so bad that that uh i think that was it uh for him um and uh what ended up happening on that hunt uh it was it was a dove hunt and um the guy almost it was like point blank range uh accidental discharge um and Yeah, it was, it was it was almost uh, almost a, a life changing. Well, it was a life changing experience uh, for my dad. He didn't want to really hunt anymore after that. Uh, it just scared him that bad. Uh, when you're a kid and you you see that happen, it just was shocking. I think. And um, and then um, and then my granddad later um, uh, died at the hand of a weapon, and so um, my uh, my dad just like that kind of sealed the deal. Yeah. Um, but he was always like so um then my other biological grandfather my mom's dad uh was a hunter um and i didn't spend much time around him uh when i did it was always going to the gun range like if he and i if if i like the few times in my life that i ever actually spent time with him uh was like going shooting or something like that uh and then my my mom's stepdad who i consider my granddad uh, was a big time hunter. He was a professional trapper um, before World War II. As a kid, uh, his family they were they, were, they trapped uh, for fur, and, and that's uh, how they made their livelihood. Yeah, yep. And um, and then uh, he uh, fought World War II, and um, and he was he, he got really into bird hunting. He and his brother got into bird hunting, um, and so. By the time I came along, he was kind of out of the big game uh, hunting and, and pretty much just a bird hunter. But he just, like, force-fed me all the greatest books. <laughs> um, he printed he printed National Geographic, um, and so he always had loads of those. Uh, but he was a huge reader. He had, like, a seventh-grade education. Uh, but he's all just, like, self-taught dude, super smart just wise guy uh and he had just an incredible library i have his books now and um, how cool is that and like jack o'connor and peter capstick and um just all these adventure hunting books that i read when i was a kid and that's really, really like pushed me into it my dad was always like just super supportive of it um you know my granddad spent a lot of time getting me ready and then you know my first my first whitetail hunt was with um, one of my dad's best friends, big time deer hunter, um, and so my dad would always made sure like I had the opportunity to go. So growing up and getting into hunting and falling in love with the outdoors is kind of what it sounds like, and yeah, building your passion and your base. I mean, obviously with your grandparents and your dad being extremely supportive of it and all of that. Where did you reach the point, you know, in high school or maybe going to college or, you know, in your education where you're like, I want to take this on as a career. I want to get into being a warden. Yeah. So 
I grew up on uh, a creek. Well, I grew up on two different saltwater creeks. Uh, the first half of my childhood was on um, uh, Horlbeck Creek, uh, and it's um, it's just this. It was this quiet saltwater creek in Charleston, and uh, we had a little John boat. We'd go out. We'd go visit my parents' friends in the John boat sometimes in the evening, uh, and we just spent a lot of time on the water. My mom is like a saltwater addict. Um, <laughs> my mom, my, like my mom would just, uh, she'd take us out in the boat or whatever while my dad was working. And, and, uh, then we moved, uh, we moved into town, but onto another saltwater Creek, but just like closer into town. And, uh, and my mom would like, she'd, she'd, pick she'd pick me and my brother's friends up we'd go to their houses pick them up my mom had the boat on the trailer behind um behind her car and and uh we would um we would launch the my mom would launch the boat and uh take us out in the boat all day and do everything <laughs> on her own um and so like i just grew up uh my mom always joking around about game wardens and stuff and getting to know some game wardens growing up to me it was just like the ultimate job like you know a game warden cruise past you in a john boat with a little boy can spaniel on the front and you're like you mean you're telling me that guy's working right now he's out <laughs> here cruising around in his john boat talking to fishermen all day he's got his dog up there and uh there's just no way that's a real job and so i just i i wanted to do it from the time i was a kid uh of course like you know um you have all these other pulls and society telling you you need to be successful financially and do all these other things and and so at some point I just went I you know that's the dream job but that's 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 I'll never do that you know um and then uh and then I realized I guess when I was in um my uh early 20s early to mid 20s that I was like okay it's that's what I want to do um and uh and they were on a hiring freeze and and so the actual director himself was like hey we're on a hiring freeze um best advice I can give you is just to find a local agency somewhere work for them for a couple years they'll put you through the police academy so when we open up um hiring here do a lateral shift yeah exactly so that's what i did i i um i went to the academy became a police officer and then they hired me on uh i, I made it into the first hiring when they opened uh, their hiring back up so yeah so it started your dream job it started my dream job and let me tell you this like you think it's gonna be this like i thought it was just gonna be uh what I saw um, growing up, these guys just cruising around, <laughs> and I will tell you, I'm one of the few people that will tell you that it is better. It is better than like I thought it would be when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Once I actually started doing the job, I was like, not only is this as cool as I thought it would be when I was a kid, it's actually cooler. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. That's rad. So. When you had to write your first ticket for an infraction, yeah, 
how did that feel? Um, I'm trying to remember what maybe my first ticket was. Uh, I believe my first ticket was... I think it was uh, a commercial fishing violation. Um, but here's the thing, like, and they don't mind me talking about it. I had my, I had my, uh, I had my captain on our podcast the other night, and he just wrote an article for us. By the way, how and cool is that? So like, I, I'm st- like, I like, I'm still full circle. Yeah, I'm still close with him. He's like one of the best dudes ever, um, and uh, and so. Um, yeah, so they don't mind me like talking about certain things. And they when I was when I came on, I came into an area like I was hired into an area where we had the highest number of contacts that we had to make uh, for the entire state. Like everybody had every county had a contact number. Like okay, the game wardens in this area have this many contacts they have to make. Uh, and it just so happened that my little area of the state had the highest number. And so they're like, you have to make 200 contacts a year. And so you have a quota, but they tell you, you don't have to write a specific amount of tickets. It's just contact contacts people be, in the field. Yeah. It can be a warning. It's either a warning or a ticket. Um, but you need to have 200 written contacts. And I was like, I remember when they told me that, um, I was in, I was in the conference room at region headquarters and they're like, yeah, you need 200 contacts, mixture of warnings, blah, blah, blah. We don't mandate, you know, anything within that, that contact number. And I said, so what if I came in here and I turned in like 200 or 199 warnings in one ticket? Like what's going to happen? And they were like, you know, that's how you want to do this. We recommend you don't do that. But if that's how you want to do this, then we we can't tell you otherwise. (laughs) And I went, okay, like, that's not what I'm going to do. But I just like, I just wanted to know how much leeway I have to be lenient with people. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when I got into law enforcement, like, to me, it was, it was told to me very early on. Law enforcement is about changing behavior, not punishing people. And um, it was a I, philosophy my grandfather lived by while he was a warden. Dude, it was profound yep. um, when I heard it. And uh, I heard it at the police academy. Um, this, uh, this, this lawyer from Louisiana taught our legals. This really cool dude. And just very southern, like old school lawyer. <laughs> and he's teaching us. He's like, look, y'all, this isn't about punishing people. It's about changing their behavior. And the best way to affect that change is for them to have a positive, positive interaction with you. And, uh, and like, so I, I learned that and I took that to heart, uh, before, before I ever put a gun on. Mm-hmm. And, um, to me, it was never like, to me, I, I, I never went into law enforcement cause I wanted to be a bully. I did it cause I wanted to be a game warden, you know? Mm-hmm. So you wanted to live in the field. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to be in the field. And, um, and so, yeah. So like it was, I would say out of every 10 warnings, I'd write one to two tickets, maybe. Not, no, there's no way I wrote two tickets for 10 warnings. One, one ticket for 10 warnings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to make those tickets, like, really count. Uh, they were going to be 
game warden tickets, you know. Um, a serious infraction. Somebody yeah, yeah. deliberately did something and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the cases you want to make when you're a game warden, you, you want to make bait cases. You want to make night hunting cases. Um, those commercial fishing violations. Uh, things that really matter. Things that that truly affect the wildlife that that you have an interest in safeguarding. Um, and to me, forgetting your whistle or your horn when you get on your boat, like, come on, that, that perfect opportunity for a smile and a warning and like, hey, man, this is like, you know, the reason you need to have this on here is because if your boat runs out of gas or whatever and you're in the middle of this channel right here, you need to be able to let people know and, well, and that kind of thing. So, And how important is that when you're out with the public for them to have the benefit of like, wait a minute, this guy's on, on my side. Sure. He's here to help me. He's not here to punish me 24 seven. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll never forget. I was on uh, Lake watery and we had, we really did have kind of an unwritten zero tolerance rule with the life jackets, right? Like if you had, five people on the boat and only four life jackets because the severity of what can happen in an accident when not every person has a flotation device that was kind of our zero tolerance thing like you you either um you give them one of your life jackets or you follow them to the boat ramp and they either get a life jacket there or you, you have them pull their boat out of the water and you're writing them a hard copy. I was out on Lake Watery and I pulled up on a pontoon boat. There were like seven African-American guys on this boat. And I'm talking to them, just going through like their safety check. And they they all had on navy veteran hats like you know like these guys are all in their 60s they've got like their big uh structured navy ball caps on you know <laughs> like super proud to be navy veterans um and hold on is is that the gaffney peach it is that's it with the little that's from that show yeah from house of cards house of cards that's the peach oh my god yeah it's a real thing it's this a is real gaffney. thing Gaffney. All right. Yeah. Sidetracked. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I had to, we were driving no. by it, so I had to bring it up. No, that's funny that you recognize that. Yeah. Um, so the reason I mentioned that, the reason I even mentioned the race of these guys is because, you know, we're in the deep south, South Carolina. This is uh, a group of African American men with a white game warden on the lake. And, um, and so, optics wise you know people that that weren't people that didn't know me or or that didn't know a lot of the guys that i work with that have gone okay you know, there's redneck game warden out here mm-hmm. in the deep south he just rolled up on a boat with uh these these black guys and and uh you know this probably isn't gonna go so well i mean obviously it doesn't mean something bad's gonna happen but you know just the, all the different stereotypes Stigmas that play and bullshit into that. yeah, yeah. So I'm talking to these guys and going through their stuff, and, and they had um, this was this has been like six years ago. Uh, they they had everything. They were they're squared away. 
they were minus a life jacket. And um, they're like, what do we do? And I was like, well, you know, honestly, um, we're, we're pretty much always supposed to write a ticket in this instance. Um, but I think I have an extra life jacket on my boat. And, uh, and I, I grabbed the extra life jacket and handed it to him. And, um, and they're like, well, what do we, how do we get it back to you? And I was like, you know, I'd already, already looked at, uh, the driver's license of the boat operator. Um, and they were from a town 40 minutes from where I lived. And, um, and so I was like, dude, I'll just, you know, you guys stay on the water, enjoy your day. And, um, and just give me a call and I'll come meet you at your house and grab the life jacket like next week. And he's like, you're going to drive all the way to my house to pick up your life jacket. I was like, yeah, man. And he's like, how much is the ticket going to cost me? And I was like, man, look, you guys are all obviously veterans, Mm -hmm. right? And they're like, yeah, we all serve together. That's why like we met up here at Lake Watery to kind of have like a (laughs) reunion thing together. And, And I was like, I'm not about to write a World War II veteran uh, a ticket. No, I'm sorry. That would have been a Vietnam veteran. But I was like, I'm not going to write a veteran uh, a ticket for um, not having a not having a PFD. And so I went. PFD, uh, personal flotation device? Personal flotation device. And so I went the next week and picked it up in, in a small town called Sumter. And uh, the guy could not have just, he could not have been cooler. He's like, man, thank you so much. And ended up having a really cool chat with him in his driveway for a while and um, just stuff like that to where that guy from there on out when he saw a game warden it wasn't like oh great here, here we comes go. the game warden it was like his last experience was super positive you know so yeah. um, we need more of that I'll be honest with you man in California there's, at there's least. more of that at South Carolina DNR the guys like the guys at South Carolina DNR, um, there's just so many good dudes that work there. And it's, I, I think it's going to be a lot of your, I, a lot of your uh, fish and game departments, I think, are made up of dudes that just want to be outside and, and do that job. They're not ticket happy. They're not your high school bullies with a badge. They're dudes that like, they wanted to be on the water they wanted to be in the woods and they just love the outdoors and so they're in a good mood like i just feel like game wardens should always be in a good mood and when you find one that's not i mean i worked there were a couple of guys i worked with that i wouldn't want them to stop a member of my family you know mm-hmm. um but <laughs> but by and large like my brother's a ticket magnet dude mm-hmm. like and it, he's he my brother never sets out to do anything wrong like he's like the most wholesome dude ever but he just like forgets shit all the time like he loans a shotgun out and so he's using his backup shotgun and doesn't have a plug in it and he's duck hunting or he 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 picked he, he shot an extra hooded merganser hen, hen hooded merganser looks like a female wood duck if you're not paying attention a, a hen wood duck and and he, my brother has just gotten pinched for all kinds of shit. Um, and he's literally like the nicest guy in the world. Good run of bad luck Dude, constantly. Yes. And, um, and the last time he had an interaction with a game board, and it was super negative. And, uh, and this was when I was a game board. And he's like, Dude, this happened. And my brother had a super reasonable explanation for it. 
he went into the hardware store. He told the girl working the counter, I want my sportsman's license, um, big game permit. So he, he wanted his combination license, uh, migratory bird permit. Like, he told her, I want all of this. And she's like, cool. And she checks him out. He pays, puts his license in his sleeve, the little paper sleeve that you get, you know. I don't know how they do it out there in Cali, but you a little Similar. paper sleeve. Yeah, you just stuff it in the paper sleeve and you put it in your wallet. Well, he just assumed that the girl sold him and added everything onto his license that he asked for. And so the first time he gets stopped, he doesn't, he doesn't have, what was it? He didn't have his federal duck stamp, which is like an electronic thing now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy's like, well, you don't have the, the federal duck stamp. My brother's like, okay, like, I understand. Here's what happened. The guy's like, I don't care. And he's like, look, I paid for all this other stuff. Well, I mean, why is it such a stretch to believe that, like, I wanted to pay for that, too? You know? And the guy just wrote him a hard copy. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, you know, you're just bound to have those guys in any occupation or, you know, not just law enforcement, not just DNR. You're always going to have people that just, like, they're having a bad day or a bad week and they just... Totally. You know, just take it out on you. Yeah, they just want it. And when it happens with a law enforcement officer, it's twice as bad, you know, because then it's literally, it's not like, it's not like you're checking out at the grocery store and the clerk is having a bad day and it isn't polite. You know, this time you're dealing with a law enforcement officer who's got a, who's got a a ticket book and a pen. And, uh, and so that's where, that's where the guys just build a bad reputation as being, being like that. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and uh, and I mean, the difficult, I can understand from the warden's perspective there, the difficulty being that you're looking at a federal duck stamp in the sense that, like, you know, that that can't cause a problem. Yeah, and, and you also deal with people that lie to you all the time. Yeah. Right? The only time in my law enforcement career, and I, w- I, had, I had a law enforcement career after being a game warden, too, um, the only time in my law enforcement career that I ever had a disciplinary action taken against me, and it was like, what <laughs> is even a slap on the wrist? Um, I was dealing with this trapper, and his name's Jim, and um, I found a beaver in a snare trap when I was uh, checking some duck hunters on their private pond and they said i found it was a live beaver in a, in a in a dry snare trap and um i was like hey who's your trapper out here and uh they're like we don't know and i was like come on man you own this property this is your duck pond you've got commercial beaver traps out here do you really expect me to believe you don't know who your trapper is and the guy's like well i forgot his name and I was like, all right, man. Um, like, if you want to play it like that, I'm going to go out and find every trap here. And one of them is likely to be tagged. That's another thing. That trap didn't have a tag on it. And it was required to be tagged. It was an illegal set the way you had it set. 
and I could tell the beaver, the beaver was absolutely exhausted and was caught in this snare. And, um, and I could tell that nobody had checked that trap within the last 24 hours because we had had rain the day before and there wasn't a, there was not a footprint anywhere near that trap. Yeah. And, um, and so I killed the beaver. I shot the beaver. Um, and left it in the trap because I'm like, I'm going to find this trapper and I'm bringing him right over here to this set and I'm going to show him everything that's illegal with this set. And, uh, and so I go looking around on the, on the property and I find out who the trapper is and like, I know who this guy is. And so I call him up. He's like, Hey dude. Yeah. I'm at huddle house. Get some breakfast. I'm like, right on, man, I need to come see you for a minute. And uh, he's like, cool, I'll, I'll be here. So I roll up to Huddle House, and he's in the parking lot. Who's he standing with in the parking lot? The landowner that just told me he didn't even remember who the trapper was. Really? They're standing there together in the parking lot. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm like, hey, man, when's the last time you checked that trap? And the, the trapper doesn't answer me. The landowner goes, he checked it today or yesterday. And uh, I said, no, he didn't. And, uh, and the trapper's actually standing there being quiet. He's not lying to me. He's just like, he's letting the landowner do all the talking now. The guy who'd already lied to me and told me he didn't know who it was. His name's Tony. Trapper's name's Jim. Dealing with these guys in the Huddle House parking lot. And, um, and so I'm asking Jim some questions about trapping regulations just to see if he knows he's violated the law. And he does. He's a great trapper. And, um, and... Tony keeps answering for him and um, and and Tony says that he like he was messing with the trap and the tag fell off the trap blah, blah, blah. and I said well who's fucking trapping license is this is it yours or is it his mm-hmm. I said that one F word right yeah and these two guys look at each other and I'm like alright I can see how this is gonna go like I lost my cool for a second just because one guy won't stop lying to me. Yeah. And, uh, and I got in my truck and, um, cause I, I, I told Jim, I was like, look, I'm taking you over to this trap. I'm going to show you your violations. Um, and he didn't believe that his tag had fallen off, whatever. So we go over there. I show him all of his violations. He's cool as hell. Um, and I call, uh, call my, my first sergeant who's now, Captain Captain McCaskill, who was on the, the podcast the other day, I'm like, hey, dude, I'm, they're going to complain. Like, somebody is going to complain. It's going to get kicked up to the office. I dropped the F-bomb. Like, I was just wound up. I don't really know why. Maybe I had an extra cup of coffee or something. I don't know why I did that. but Because um, I never talked to people like that in the field. Never. And, um, and sure enough, complaint comes in, whatever. And my disciplinary action was Matt giving me a verbal con consultation didn't even get written up in my personal file or anything like that um and then i see jim in the post office like three weeks later and i'm like hey dude i'm really sorry about the other day i don't know why like i lost my cool with you guys but i apologize like i, I certainly didn't want to disrespect you and i know what a good trapper you are and because, uh, like, I knew this dude, like, not super well, but I knew him, and I, he was a very good trapper. He's like, man, thanks, like, no hard feelings. He wasn't the one that complained on me, um, you know, total non-issue, and, 
and I ended up sending him uh, several trapping clients uh, within the next 12 months, sent several people his way that had beaver problems. And then I ended up going to church with Tony and Tony and I becoming friends later. Really? And yeah, so both guys like, you know, both guys that I had that bad experience with. Uh, full circle. Full circle, man. Yeah, friendships <laughs> friendships out of both of them. When when I dropped the F-bomb, they both looked at each other. And had had I gone and set my badge in my truck, those dudes would have teed off on me. You know, they were like, they were not happy with me. But then, now we're all thick as thieves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, see, I'm talking too much again. No, you're good. You're totally good. You're totally good. So, what ended up taking you out? Of DNR? Yeah. Um, dude, it was... Uh, what was your exit? Uh, so I was very, very, very happy with my job. Loved it. Um, I had uh, I had become a hunting accident investigator for our region. Um, and I was, you know, they were sending me some cool cool areas and uh of of training and stuff like that and i was just i was super happy and i had uh had this dude um reach out to me to recruit me to a different area of law enforcement that honestly nobody even really knows is even a thing right and i want to i don't want to talk too much about it but yeah we don't even have to go um nobody even really knows that this is like an area of law enforcement like a lot of a lot of law enforcement guys don't even know that this is happening yeah and and it is the when when you've been in for a while and um you know it's 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 a much wider jurisdiction than just state jurisdiction i'll just say that and um and when you've been in it for a while it is the highest paid law enforcement law enforcement gig out there right and um and there are all kinds of you know all kinds of benefits to to going in this direction and um the the thing that kind of put me over the edge was they said they're going to pay for me to get my master's degree and uh and that was kind of like the final straw but i i I told this guy several times like not interested in leaving dnr like never going to be interested in leaving dnr um but in the back of my mind i knew that the longer I stayed at DNR, if if I were to go up the chain, the closer I was going to get to uh, being in an office and being out of the field. And I knew I didn't want that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's like, I had to just weigh all these different things. Like at some point to make more money, my family's growing. At some point to make more money, I'm going to have to leave the field. Um, and is this even a job I want if I have to leave the field? And the answer was no. Um, I didn't, like, I had no interest in... in Some heavy decision-making right there. Yeah. I, I, the, I, I had no decision in, in uh, going into the office. And... Um, no desire. No desire. What did I say? Decision. N- yeah. I meant desire. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. I had... Uh, it's because you put the decision word in my head. By <laughs> um, but I, I had no desire to, to, to um, go into the office. So I was weighing that, the master's thing. I told my wife, uh, and, and this, when, when I was being recruited, this wasn't like a guaranteed deal. They were like, just throw your name in the hat when, when this spot comes up. And, um, and after t- saying no several times, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll do it. And I went and I interviewed against, I think, 14 different people. I was the youngest one, and I was one of the only ones that did not have my master's degree. And, like, a lot more experience. 
you know. Um, but they looked at my track record with DNR. Uh, they knew that I was a worker. Like, I didn't write a ton of tickets, but I worked hard, and I made a lot of good contacts, and, and I felt like the cases that I did make were good. And, um, you know, the, the state law enforcement division, they, they would call me to help them with certain things and stuff like that because I'd built a reputation of somebody that would work and somebody that would hustle in the field. And, uh, and so that was kind of, I think, why, why they picked me out of those 14 people. Uh, me being certainly on paper the least qualified, I think. Um, and uh, so I took the job. Within, like, the first two weeks, they canceled tuition reimbursement program. Um, and uh, the job was just miserable, dude. Mm-hmm. It was, I hated it. Um, you know, I, I was getting called out in the middle of the night to like go deal with stuff people should never have to deal with, and and, um, and like I, I, you know, drive, wake up at three o'clock in the morning, drive three hours to go deal with something, and and uh, and something you never wanted to have to see to begin with, just all kinds of stuff, and I, I just hated it, and um, and so I. Uh, I don't know. It just did not start off well. And I, I did it for, I think, around three years. Read it three years. And um, it just, uh, it was never going to get any better. And, and um, so, yeah, I made my exit from law enforcement. And um, that was the right time to, to kind of hang it up. I'd made some great friends in law enforcement. But uh, I was wanting to just, I was wanting to get back towards the outdoor world somehow. Um, and an opportunity came up while I was still in law enforcement um, to work with a company that I really, really respected a lot, um, which is Sporting Classics magazine. And, um, and so, yeah, I, that was kind of my exit from law enforcement. And it, you know, and I will say, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? And uh, I'm a Christian as well, and so I, I believe that that things don't just randomly happen. And, and uh, and so, um, had I started my master's program, uh, I'd have been first year master's program when we had a third final and surprise baby. <laughs> so we had a, we had a third kid, uh, um, that first year of, of me going on with that agency and, and, um, and, uh, yeah, it would have been an absolute train wreck. Me, <laughs> me trying to do my master's coursework with uh, two two kids in diapers. You yeah, know? Um, with with a third kid outside of diapers, so it just would have would have been really taxing on the family life. And so, it all worked out, man. It all worked out. And, and uh, but I, I always tell people, um, kids that are like in college or whatever or in high school and they don't know what they want to do and I'm like well do you like the outdoors I'm like yeah I'm like dude be a game warden go do it and uh, just because I think that highly of it and, and the people that I worked with that's awesome I need to breathe some I've been talking breathe, again dude, for like good. 10 minutes you're good well so and that I mean that leads me straight into field ethos yeah and the birth of Field Ethos. Yep. Um, and kind of what you guys have going on there. Yeah. Um, it's it's still new. The first issue hasn't even come out. No. 
right? Correct. So it's going to be a print magazine. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd say we're we're certainly uh, we're going to offer print for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but from the beginning of us uh, discussing this this brand and this company, it's always been ninety percent digital, ten percent print, if that. You know, um, I don't even think ten percent of our our energy will go into print. I do want the print product to be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want it to be something that we're proud of and that people really enjoy uh, reading themselves. Then the goal, to me, the goal is to is to have a print magazine that is so cool that we almost kill our own sales because I like, you, you subscribe to it and you get this print issue and you read through it and you like it so much you give it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, they don't, they don't buy that issue. They got the issue from you. Maybe they'll buy the next one. But I want it to always be so good that the people that get it, they like the articles in there so much. They're like, man, I have to, like, give this magazine away because <laughs> it's just, like, i got to give this to my buddy because he'll love it, you yeah. know? Um, so 10% print, yeah. Um, but we are, um, we have uh, a website that content is up uh, updated on uh, biweekly, um, twice a week. And uh, we send out an e-blast um, uh, every uh, twice a week that has new content. We obviously have social media, and we have um, a podcast, and then we have Field Ethos Films, uh, which is you know we we have kind of a, a master plan there um, for that to be kind of a free hosting place for people's hunting films and fishing films and and i keep calling it like to me i say hunting all the time when i'm talking about field ethos because that's the part of field ethos i'm so passionate about that's the topic that i'm passionate about that conservation and and uh and and fishing um but field ethos we don't want it to be vertical just for hunting and fishing and, and conservation we want it to also encompass like you know the guy that the guy that's going to take an epic trip on his sailboat you know and uh or or the guy that wants to do an overlanding trip across uh you know western africa or whatever you know just like cool stories that inspire people to want to go have their own adventure doesn't need to be hunting doesn't need to be fishing it just needs to inspire you to plan your own adventure and that without taking too deep of a dive i watched uh the long way around years ago with mm-hmm. ewan mcgregor and charlie borman right when it came out and um it's been it was in my 20s early 20s and uh i'd been you know i've been riding dirt bikes since i was a kid i got my first dirt bike i think when i was like 12 um and i saw this and i went like these guys just got on these bikes and rode across the world on these dual sport off-road adventure bikes with other camping gear and um like i that that i want to do that Mm -hmm. uh or if i don't do that i want to at least take an incredible adventure even it doesn't have to be a motorcycle like i just have to go on an adventure after watching (laughs) this and i want that to be what field ethos is like i want to i would love it if somebody saw a hunting trip that we did uh in africa and, and all the wild game that we cooked on that trip and just the beauty of that area and, and they saw that and they went man i would love to go hunt there 
or I would love to plan my next I, I would know I would love love to plan a hunting adventure but just as much I would love it if someone sees that and they go man I just want to go to Africa I want to go to Africa and I want to just take my camera and I want to hunt cool like I just I want I want it to have inspired you to go do something that will be profound and it doesn't have to be hunting doesn't have to go, mean go to Africa if that means you know going canoeing in British Columbia because you saw a hunt that we did in Africa or that we did in, in Europe somewhere uh, if that translates into you one day being on a canoe in British Columbia because we we stoked some adventure fire in you then done like that's that's exactly what inspiring we do. the journey yeah man we, we it's uh, the our premise for field ethos is the global hunt for adventure the word hunt is in there I really on like that thanks man the word hunt is there on purpose but it and it what I like about that though the global hunt for adventure is that the hunt isn't about finding game and killing no. it the hunt is no. about finding the adventure and crushing it dude I'm one of those weird people that uh, and and hopefully this, this makes sense to people who are listening but um, to me, like you could say, okay, um, I'm giving you a mule deer hunt and you can pick from two different types of hunts. You can go to this one area right here and it's got the biggest mule deer in the world, right? But the scenery is like B grade at best. <laughs> or you can go to this spot right here and it has actually the smallest mule deer of, of the species, but the scenery is a plus like this is one of the most beautiful places you can hunt i'm picking the scenery every time Mm -hmm. always um and so that is i'm just one of those people like it's never about i don't want to disrespect an animal and say that it's not about the animal because it very much is but that is not why i'm there one and i feel like too it's also almost trying to raise the bar from um some of the content that might be out there now and taking it maybe in a little bit more of a serious yeah no bullshit unfiltered unfiltered yep. direction yep and you know a lot of people would hear what i just said and just be like okay this guy is another one of those like soft-hearted hunters that wants it to not be about hunting and i'll tell you man like i love the kill Mm-hmm. I love the kill. Yeah. Because that to me. I appreciate that you call it the kill instead of the harvest. No, I hate that. Like I hate the overused word harvest. Like I love the kill. And, and it's not because I just, it's, it, it's not because I just want to take something's life. That is not it. Well, it's no, it's what it, to me. And I battled with it in the past because I used to use the word harvest a lot. Yeah. And I feel like we have watered down hunting for what it is i know man to the point where it's like all right man how far are we going to pander that's exactly until right. we're going to give away all our hunting rights because we're pandering so hard by changing our language you know and and you can take that almost to you know and out and maybe people will agree with this and maybe they won't i don't really give a shit um when they go in and they change the textbook definition of what an assault rifle is because they want it to meet their agenda, yep. right? Or they they go in and they, they change the textbook definition 
of another word because they want it to meet their agenda. Yep. And it's like, how far do we as hunters have to go? Because like, hey, man, when I take a new hunter out and I've taken plenty of new hunters out, you know, and, and they get their first kill, they've killed that animal. Yep. Are they harvesting the meat? You bet your ass they are. Because in America, it is illegal to not harvest the meat. Correct. It's wanton waste. Right? So why do we as hunters continue to water down the terminology of... Well, uh, it's been heading that direction for years. Yeah. And, and I've And I've been part of part of that by participating in it a lot of good people have and a lot of people didn't because a lot of people don't recognize what they do when they when they make it all about conservation or all about the wild game meat they don't realize that that undermines hunting as a whole when they take that singular uh uh, approach to hunting or when they when when they're afraid to say dude i do this because it's a freaking adventure and the the conservation aspect of it the wild game aspect of it those are just those are awesome side benefits of this adventure we just went on Mm -hmm. but like i'll never tell you that i don't like to kill like i do i like that moment it's uh and i'll tell you why like you, you spend all this time doing your research gear prep uh preparing for the hunt studying the area studying the animal you, 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 Years. You, you spend a ton of time on this stuff, and right? And money. <clears throat> right. And then often it all is shaped towards a moment. That moment when you're about to pull the trigger or release that arrow. And because you have put so much into it, uh, and, and because it's the culmination of so many different things, like you get that rush and that uh focus that you get you get that because it has been it has done that to you physiologically since the beginning of hunters on this planet um there is there is a heavy weight to killing something um and whether you whether that's like at the forefront of your mind it's definitely in the subconscious and and you know that it's serious when you take a life even if you even if you don't realize that that's why your heart is beating rapidly or that your hands are, are sweating a little bit, you get tunnel vision. Those physiological changes have been occurring in man since the beginning of time. And it's because of what we know about life. And, and it's a really serious thing you were getting ready to do. And so all these physiological changes occur and you right before you right before that final final act and it's like it's next level shit i mean it's just it's awesome very few things in this world uh that you can do that will mimic the seriousness of that and unfortunately i have i have seen that also um and but there are very few positive things that you can do that will affect that that like affect you to your soul the way that that kill that kill will affect you um, and it's it, it's something that if you've never experienced it, you can't ever understand a hunter until you've experienced that. Um, and it's it's great, man. We don't like we don't take it lightly, um, but it's it's a great thing. Uh, it's something that you know guys like you and I we work really hard to make sure that um, 
we're ethical in how we take take game in the field. Uh, we don't just take a casual uh, or cavalier approach to to that moment. Um, that's that's very serious to us. Um, but I'll never apologize for it. Like I love that part. Mm-hmm. I, I like I've read so much shit in the last couple years. Hunting has just gone in the wrong direction for a long time. But more and more, I'm reading things in the wrong direction. They're like. I hunt because I want clean protein for my family. I'm like, do you, is that like, is that really why you hunt? Because if that's why you hunt, let me put you in touch with Anya Fernald mm-hmm. at Bell Campo. Yeah. She will sell you clean protein yeah. in the form of organic, sustainable, uh, farm raised animals. Well, like, so, and I'm going to jump in and catch you off here too, though, because coming from California, one of the biggest selling tickets for me in the hunter's education world is we're getting a load of new hunters that are in it for hunting and killing clean meat for their family. But it doesn't matter if it's a pig or a, the species is not uh, a thing for them. Right. What they want to do is they want to fill their miser, their miser, their freezer with clean organic meat that they killed themselves. Um, their approach, though, to me, is coming out of social media buzz, social media interest, and a lot of these organizations, other people that have been taking away from what's happening when we were in the field, if that makes sense. So, sure. So, and, and I'm not trying to be a dick, I guess, to new hunters that are coming in, you know, or or saying maybe that they're a little bit ignorant to a lot of stuff because they're coming into a whole new world that they don't understand and they want to understand um but i would say in like in california the largest amount of people that come into my hunters education courses or you know um our new hunters have gone through hunters ed that's a lot of the drive and motivation for a lot of people that would have never otherwise been interested in hunting in their entire life. They don't come from hunting backgrounds. They don't have families that hunt, you know, and, and they're maybe of a political bent that would tell them don't hunt like that. Well, there's that. There's, there, there certainly are those people that do that. Yep. And, and I would say that if, if you had 30 hunters come into your class and tell you they're all doing it for meat, I would say that... 10 of them might actually be doing it for me and the other 20 are telling you that's why they're doing it mm-hmm. because that's the popular thing to say now. Yes. That's the easy I'll justification. I'll agree with that all fucking day. Okay. 100%. So, um, I'll agree with uh, there that. There are there are some of those that that is their motivation and there are some of those that will just I'm just loving these rivers. I'm Sorry, you, dude. It's cool. Yeah. I know for you this is like every day but yeah. for me I don't see these like beautiful rivers we've and got more to go yeah we've got a lot of driving left um <laughs> but yeah i would say drive. like that is like that that is just like a, a cool thing for people to say now right i do it because i want clean protein for my family well it's hip. like it is it's the hip thing hipsters and i'm too. like well hunting hipsters and and but you'll get the hunting hipster that says i hate killing animals like i feel sad when i kill an animal like that's like that's the only part of hunting that I don't like is when I actually have to kill the animal, and I'm like, what? Like, you're too disconnected from what you're doing. Um, and either you either you believe that, and you need to stop hunting and go just buy organic meat somewhere, mm-hmm. or 
you're just saying that shit because of the direction this world's moving in to where hunting is not okay. And so, and you're trying to make it. And okay. for either for either reason, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're 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 not in it. Like again, food is a great byproduct of hunting. Conservation is a great byproduct of hunting. It, all of there are all these great things. But if you if you can just be honest about it and say, look, like I hunt because something inside me tells me begs for it begs for it and people begs don't get that for it, something, something inside me tells me i have to do that yeah. and and so like i hunt because like it's all i think about um and yes i eat wild game well, and and that's that's a great part of this you you brought up another really good point you know and and you said people are they're hunting for the meat new hunters are hunting for the meat how many how many hunts do hunters go on and we come back empty handed how much oh, failure endless non-stop so repetitive failure is involved in hunting when it's specifically to only hunt for meat yeah well i will say you know Yes. It might be different out here in California. It's fucked. Okay. (laughs) I can pretty much shoot a doe every time I I go uh, deer hunting. Whitetail hunting. Dude. Some good shit. In South Carolina. When it comes to stacking bodies. Dude, if you're just like, I call it grocery shopping. Like, I love love going and shooting whitetail deer for meat. Um, And, but that's, that's not why I go. But I I do love that. Yeah. Um, But. Yeah, I mean, there are. I I would say, I I would say I could pretty much shoot a doe every almost every time I go hunting. Um, at least until you get a traditional bow, it, right? And then it's every other time. At least I'm gonna see deer. I'm gonna see some white-tailed deer every time I go hunting, almost right. Yeah. Um, but I will say, man, um, I say not even one out of every five times uh, that I go, do I actually pull the trigger on something? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I do, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm going, okay, this, everything lined up right. Um, and you know, it's time to go. Now these days, a lot of my hunting, uh, at least in the Southeast or in South Carolina, in state, uh, I try to, if I'm going to deer hunt, I try to make sure one of my kids is with me. So it's more of like, it's not nearly as much Teaching. for me right now. Yeah. It's educational stuff, which I love too. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. The, there's a lot of, that goes into hunting to where we we pass up on opportunities, and we're not just there to kill stuff. We pass up on opportunities to kill things all the time. Yeah, and, and it's just not the right, you know, it's not the right hunt for it, or you know, it's just it it doesn't meet the end we're after. But uh, but yeah, I, I that is a big reason. Um, Field ethos was was started is because wow, we went on a tangent there for a minute. Yeah, we did. I'm a tang- I'm the tangent it's guy. Good, um, but that is that is uh, a big part of why field ethos is was started was because I've noticed a trend over um, the last uh, you know my my adult life that I didn't like the direction the messaging of hunting was going in, uh, and so with field ethos we've said from the beginning we want. We want it to be modern content, but with the balls of a 1930s or 1940s hunting magazine, mm-hmm. you know, where guys aren't afraid to, men or women aren't afraid to just talk about why they love to hunt and, and 
um, and show show hunting for the great thing that it is. And we're not apologizing to anybody. Um, you know, we're we're you know, it's just not our not our thing. And um, so yeah, we're 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 trying to do things a little bit differently, and it's unfiltered. And um, you know, we, we the the brands and products that you'll see us using or representing or recommending. Uh, we will never recommend or push a product that we would not buy ourselves, yep. that we would not take into the field, that we would not buy. That's super important. Yeah, I feel like we've lost so much credibility in the in- industry. Uh, people just... Taking a paycheck? Yeah, man. Just yep. like, um, you know, pushing pushing things because companies paying good money for it. I'm like, dude, like <laughs> you're a good hunter. I know you would not use that thing if they weren't paying you a bunch of money. Like yeah. that is not what you would use. Um, and so that is, that's another thing is truth in advertising with field ethos. Like if we recommend it, if it is advertised within our digital or print real estate, if you see it, it is because it is something we will stand behind and we'll be able to look a new hunter in the eye and go, yeah, dude, like I, I trust know these products. I know that was a reach for you financially to buy that, but it was the right, it was the right product. Yeah. It was expensive. I get it, but it's going to last you a long time. And, and that was a good choice. Um, so that, that's a big part of what we've done and what we've, you know, what we are, we've already started to do and what we are going to continue to do. And people have really picked up on that and really liked that, um, that, that we, I, I can't tell you how often I get messages, emails, whatever. It's like, man, we love what you guys are doing. Or I love what you guys are doing. Um, you know, nobody's saying stuff like this anymore. And, and, uh, We've, the, the feedback, you know, we've been in business now for right at six months, and the feedback has been incredible. It's, it's been, you know, I'm not a real sappy person, uh, but when <laughs> when I get, like, a cool note like that, I'm like, man, that's cool. Like feels good, man. It does. It, I, I'm like, yeah. man, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad because, um, you know, a lot of... In a world full of negativity, positive feedback goes a long way. Well, a lot of me... Like I told you, like I, I got a lot of my passion for hunting from the books, my books and magazines that my granddad gave me to read when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so, when somebody says that they like saw something that we did, they liked it and they want to see more of it, I'm like, man, that's cool because that's kind of why I ended up here. Uh, it's because I was seeing stuff that I liked in, in magazines or in, in print, whatever. So pretty neat. Right on, man. So. There's always a part in a podcast. It's a Dead Eye Minute. Yep. Dead Eye Outfitters is a company I work with. Mm-hmm. They make hats, T-shirts, hoodies, flannels, socks, pretty much everything for outside of the field of hunting. Yep. Right? Um, sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's over the top and sometimes I drop the ball and completely fuck it up (laughs) you know it's always hit and miss so for you you said you know you're a Christian yeah you're a religious man yeah not religious but I am a Christian okay yeah so maybe that makes this question a little difficult um how do you explain to somebody to accept God's undying love into their heart. Oh man, um, 
to to for somebody who maybe struggles with God, yeah. who maybe has a, has difficulty believing or understanding in a in a power greater than than themselves, yeah, or anything like that. How do you explain to them? Man, I would say, okay, so for me... We're getting serious. Yeah, that is so serious. Yeah. Um, Welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you accept God's undying love for you? Um, I would say as a Christian, that is one of the hardest things that we can ever be tasked with doing, would be to fully realize uh, the grace of Christ dying on the cross and what what that means in terms of love uh, because I have my own children right and I think about this all the time when I'm when I'm saying prayers to my kids at night um, there's like we'll, we'll finish saying prayers and I'm snuggling them and, and uh, they're falling asleep or whatever and I think about it all the time I think how could a dad let one of his children go through what Christ went through. Like, I think about it a lot. Um, and it's almost always during that bedtime time. And to me, um, it's only through a supernatural sense of love. Like, a su- there, there's no way I could ever love somebody or something enough to let my kids die like that. Not one. Like, there's, there's nothing. So with me having faith that Christ died on the cross for us, um, for me to look at that and go, what kind of love does it take for him to do that for us and for God to let his son do that for us? And to me, the only explanation that I've ever come up with is that um, I try to rationalize God, uh, which is a supernatural being, uh, with a rational mind, uh, and you can't w- w- with a natural mind or a rational mind, and our minds aren't designed to understand the supernatural on that level, right? I can't even experience, like I can't even imagine a, a love like that. And so when you say, because it's so pure, it is. It, it, it is. It is it is the greatest extent of love that I know of. And so I I would just challenge somebody that, that um, you will experience Christ's love in your life. And for me, one of the ways I experience that is just by looking at my kids, the fact that I've been blessed with a family or, or the incredible wife that I have and the incredible kids that I have to me, that's, that's experiencing God's love for me um, is that I've been blessed with these things. And, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to explain to somebody who, might have ha- might not have had the blessings that I've had. Um, like, you know, it, you, you try to explain that to somebody like, hey, man, I see God in my family every day. I see God's love and, and, and the, the uh, blessings that he's given me. It's hard to explain that to somebody that hasn't experienced that, doesn't have a family, didn't have a good upbringing and, and struggles with this or that. Um, so I don't know. That's just a super tough question. For sure. It's a totally tough question. That's the point. Yeah. You know, and, and also what I would what I would wonder is how much of that is also based on blind faith. Yeah, that, a lot. You know what I mean? A and, lot. and and how important is it to have that blind faith? Do you know you want to know where that faith comes from for me? Where? 
a big part of it comes from hunting and me being in the outdoors. One hundred percent. When, when nature I, is my church, dude. Nature, like when I'm when I'm in nature, I'll see something, like a like I mean, something simple, but so intricate. <laughs> I and get I, it. And I go, dude, that is crazy. Like yeah. there is no way that got here by two dust particles colliding in space at some point. I am not looking at this organism. Like, if you believe in, if you just believe in, like, the Big Bang Theory or that or that we didn't come from a creator, if you literally believe that, then you should be broke from buying lottery tickets, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Because the, the pure amount of chance involved with dust particles colliding and then you and I, you know, being here with, with the technology that we have and, and with the, with how far humans have come and things like that. If, if you believe that all these things are just random bits of chance over millions and millions and millions of years, that all these small, tiny bits of chance one day equate into where we are now, then you should be broke with a bunch of lottery tickets in your, in your pocket, because the odds are so much greater that you are going to hit the lottery than that you and I would be here because of two dust particles colliding. So creating earth, creating earth, like, dude, there's just, there, there's, there's so much chance in that that I just can't look in nature or look at you or look at, you know, a bird and just go, yeah, that's that's all just random chance that that came out of nowhere, man. Um, so a lot of my faith comes from, you know, people like, you know, faith is one of these things you can't see. That's not true. I see like I see my faith. Um, faith for me comes from what I do see. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I'm probably coming off like a total kook right now, but that's just how I've always seen it. No, like, you're good, man. Like, I see this stuff, and I'm like, there's no there's no better explanation for a creator than what I'm looking at right now, you know? Um, that's just me. Like, I, you know, I have plenty of friends that aren't Christians and, and uh, atheist or agnostic or whatever. Um, and that has never been a hang-up for me, whether I'd invest major friendship or love into somebody you know that's 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 not a prerequisite for me is that that you're a believer and whatever um what's our eta right now on our arrival to where we're going 11 minutes 11 minutes yeah okay so we'll wrap it up with this last question okay how important has your wife been for you in being supportive and a significant other um, and establishing you and who you are and how you operate. Yeah. So I will say this. She will never listen to this podcast. So there's zero chance that I'm saying this for brownie points. Yeah. But like I freaking I crushed it on the wife front. Um, and I, I, <laughs> I, love I, that. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I posted something last year, like on Mother's Day or on her birthday or something that was like, this broad is the best decision I ever made. And one of my buddies commented, he's a, he's a tattooist in Charleston, a Jewish guy named Jason Eisenberg's fucking awesome dude. And he goes, it's funny that you think it was your decision. <laughs> I was I like, like man, that. that that's so true. Like she let me marry her. Like if you see her, like you'd be like, how did you pull that off? Mm-hmm. Like she let me marry her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's super supportive. Her dad 
was a big time hunter growing up. He's now he's 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 not as much of a hunter. He's getting back into hunting because of the grandkids, but he's a big time angler. Like the guy is is a legit angler, and um, and he's just a stud of a dude. And and so she grew up with a dad who hunted and fished and um, you know took hunting trips with his friends and and with her brother and her you know her my my, my father in law's son Marshall who we talked about that's who I did the flip flop with uh-huh. um, so she grew up with that but she is just like dude she's got so much backbone which is you know has its own set of uh issues you know you get a super strong-willed chick and um she's always going to call you on your bullshit and and keep you in line dude keep you in line and she does um but when it's time to like hey i've got this trip you know it's going to be a two-week deal she's like right on like um, crush it yeah right on like you know i'll get my mom to come into town or whatever um and my mother i will say uh my mother-in-law uh, who also will not be listening to this podcast. Uh, she has been a huge help in, uh, in my career in the hunting world when I have to travel for trade shows or big, long trips, whatever. Uh, my mother-in-law like, loves to roll in and help out with the kids, and that's why we've just moved to North Georgia. That's why we're, we're there now, to be closer to my in-laws, support system for my wife while I'm traveling. I also love being near my in-laws. They're great people. Yeah. And that town up there and the Sleepy Mountains in North Georgia is just, I'm not even going to say what town it is because I don't want people coming You want to keep the Californians out. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> want, I, I'll let you see it. Like, you can come. Yeah, I'll come and I'll come out you're going to have sure. to be blindfolded for the hour and a half ride from uh, Atlanta Airport. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, my, my wife is, I, I will say, like, because I have a family, and I know a lot of dudes that, that are able to do what I do hunting wise and trip wise and stuff like that, stuff like that, um, that, that they're either single or they're divorced or whatever. Not a whole lot of them. I'm uh, single. Yep. Not a whole lot of them get, not a whole lot of them are married and have kids and like are able to do it at the level that I do it at. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's kind of, I've been asking more recently questions about that kind of stuff, spouse and support. Because for me, I mean, I'm, I've never been married. I'm a single guy. And I, anytime I've tried to have a relationship with someone, it always becomes difficult, especially coming into the season ahead, which is like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be gone a lot, you know? Yeah. Like, because it's, it's hunting season and, you know, animals start dying in July and they don't stop until mid-January. Yep. You know, so if, if I could give you any advice on on uh, picking a picking a gal that will be okay with that, it would just be my own experience, which is pick a girl that's out of your league that you're basically slowing her down by her marrying you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when I love when that. you when you go out of town, like she thrives. You know, she's she's still getting stuff done. My wife does not rely on me for her entertainment or mm-hmm. um you know just like her own self-worth she's a strong strong chick and um she's uh she's got stuff that she loves to do and and uh she's really into design she's she's uh in the process of designing our new house right now um we're gonna build a pole barn house That's uh, so a cool. super simple build but she's doing all kinds of cool stuff with it we're really excited and um 
and so yeah she's got she's got her own thing going on um but you know her big thing is just like hey uh if you're gonna be gone for two weeks uh help me figure out uh a schedule with my mom and your mom coming into town so that i'm not just like two weeks just holding the bag i'm like wrecking it yeah 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 so um yeah it's hard to find dude yeah it is hard to find i'm finding that out yeah you'll find it you'll find it don't never mind i'm not gonna say that okay you can say it off the mic well i'll say it i'll say it 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 might be it it might be controversial and somewhat entertaining don't find a chick that wants to hunt all the time with you uh you know and actually i stay out of dating in the hunting industry i stay out of um i dated a, a gal who wanted to get into hunting a while back that was a terrible calamity yep um and i've never really dated a girl that's hunted since and i just i just don't have that much of a drive to to find a woman that's a full-time hunter well my my thing is is like i need i need an outlet that's Mm -hmm. like uh me me separate um and it's not like that's not a selfish thing like i i just need uh i just need something to where it's quiet it's I can just dive inside my own head. That's where I do my best thinking about my family. You know, like it's where I solve so many issues. I solve a lot of my own the mountain man. issues, dude, while I'm hunting. And like, um, I, you know, I'm, it's one of the only times I can be in a quiet place for hours on end and strategize family. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, family's a strategy, dude. And uh, it's one of the only times I can. It's one of the only times I can, like, strategize family life without any outside interference. And so, I, like, I see these guys that are, like, they 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 want some hot hunter chick uh, because she's into hunting, too. And then it's like, well, now what are you going to do when you want to go on this trip and you just need to clear your fucking head? Yeah. You know? And not only that, but there's a lot of other stuff that comes along with it that I won't publicly talk about. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, see, and that's the, that's the thing. Like, you either – that's the best way to be. Either you don't talk about it or you do talk about it and you just be unfiltered with it. Yeah. But don't sugarcoat that shit. Yeah. Just I, like, well, that's the problem is that yeah. I wouldn't sugarcoat it. I know. It and I know. So it's probably best that you don't say anything about it. We talk about it at dinner here in the next – five minutes over sushi this is gonna be my first time in a restaurant in fucking months dude and i'm, telling I'm you, so excited this is about this one. experience this is a good one so it's brick tops in charlotte and uh their sushi is out of this world i i've i've uh, had dinner with my buddies here a handful of times um and we are getting ready to meet up with uh luke keekley uh, yeah. and this is his haunt right here this restaurant this is his spot sounds good and um and I've, I've been here a handful of times now, and it's always a 10. <laughs> I'm, hey, man, I'm just excited to. I hope they don't have, like, their quarantine B team working tonight or something. Right. You know, like. Who knows? They might. Dude, it's going to be good. They might. It's going to be good. I just I missed our turn, but it's all good. I will turn around. Make, it, make a UE. I'll be honest with you. I'm hoping there's not two brick tops in Charlotte because this does not look like. Where you went last time. The area looks a little off. Yeah. yeah. The landscape doesn't look the same, but we'll uh, we'll figure it out. I well, think we'll end there. it there, huh? Yeah, man. We'll get ready for part two. Part two. Part two. Cool. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. 
If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.